We are jumping into uh, the first week of You Ask For It. You say, what is You Ask For It? Well, these uh, next five weeks are uh, the sermons that you have chosen by the questions that you have sent in. And we've gotten almost, I think, 80 different questions. And uh, it's been pretty amazing. As I read through those, number one, I feel a little unqualified to try to answer some of them. Uh, But they're pretty amazing. They're not just surface-level questions, you know, like how many books of the Bible are there? Which there's 66, in case you didn't know. You know, 39 in the old, 27 in the new. But... They're deep questions, questions about life, questions from a variety of topics across the spectrum. You name it, there's probably been a question about it. And um, I wanted to start on a question. This is the first question that was asked, the the first one that we received when we talked about this series. And it's this question is, how do I know I'm saved? The question was kind of phrased, how do I know I'm going to heaven? And then as the weeks went on and more questions came in, there were questions, how do I know I can be forgiven if I've committed this sin? If I've done this, can God forgive me? Will God forgive me? And I was just reading through those, and I thought to myself, you know, that really is a common theme amongst people who call themselves Christians. If you're a Christian in here today, uh, maybe if you're not a Christian in here, you've wondered, how would I know that I'm really going to heaven? How can I be assured of my salvation? How can I know that God would forgive me of everything, right? Because he forgives some things and there's other things that are questionable that I don't know if he can forgive. And a lot of people live their lives in fear of going to hell, even though uh, that you would consider yourself a Christian and a Christ follower. You believe in Jesus, right? You believe that he, 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 he died, was buried, and was resurrected and, and ascended into heaven. But yet you still wonder if God can really forgive you. If you can sin too much and sin beyond what the grace of God can, can cover. And you say, well, how do you know that's a a big question? Well, I assume it is because I just know for me, for many years of my own life, I struggled with that. Now, I grew up in in church my whole life. My grandfathers on either side were pastors at one point in their life. And um, I was practically born in the pew, got saved at a a very early age. But I lived my life in fear of going to hell. You've heard of the term eternal security? I had eternal insecurity, Okay. I was thought I was going to hell all the time. Like you go to church on Sunday, you feel the Holy Spirit, you feel Jesus, and then you go home, you do something bad, and you wake up Monday wondering if you know you're going to make it through the night. If God, if God would have come back that night, would I have gone to heaven? I was in fear. I had no sense of peace, no sense of of confidence in Jesus in my life, and and uh, I was just trying to be good. Anybody? I was trying to do good. I was trying to make sure that my good outweighed my bad, so that when I stood before God someday, He could see that I had more good than bad. And yet I heard the gospel, but the gospel wasn't good news to me. It was just news, right? Like Jesus was great, but then Jesus can save you, but we don't know if he can keep you saved. It all, it's all about how often you come to church, how good you do, how much you give, how much you serve. You know, all those things I kind of grew up in a, in a legalistic environment, not here, but uh, that was just kind of my, my mindset. And then one day, six years ago, when I was at work, I was working at Joyce Farm Ministries at the time, I got up to use the bathroom. And I felt like the Lord speak this to my heart. I could, still, I could take you back to the spot in the building. And here's what the Lord spoke to me. Unprompted, I wasn't praying about it. He said, Josh, unless you're confident before me, you'll never walk in the fullness of what I have for you. Josh, unless you're confident before me, you'll never walk in the fullness of what I have for you. Stop me dead in my tracks. Was it an audible voice? No. For the record, I've never heard an audible voice of the Lord. Okay? Just like this impression, you know. That was just what, what I knew. And so what I did is I went to a mentor of mine. His name's Pastor Stroop. 
I went to him. I said, Pastor, this is what I felt the Lord speak to me, that I would not be confident. If I can't be confident before him, I'll never walk in the fullness of what he has for me. I said, Here, here's my question. I don't know what that means, okay? But what do I have to do to be confident? What do I have to do? And he, and he said, Josh, you don't have to do anything. Jesus already did everything. It's the finished work of Jesus. And I said, oh, okay, what's that mean? And remember, I grew up in church my whole life. The next day I came into work, there was a book on my desk called The Gospel of Peace by Dr. James Richards. And I'll tell you what I did. I sat down and I worked a little, but I read a lot. I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be honest. I worked a little, but I read a lot. And I was reading that book and I just couldn't put it down. I remember I got about halfway through the book and he was talking about the sufficiency of Jesus. Now, remember, mind you, I'm, I'm 25 years old at this time. I've grown up in church. Grandpas are pastors on either side. I know scripture. But he starts talking about the finished work of Jesus. And I put, it's, it's the first page of that particular chapter. And I set it down. And with tears running down my face, I said these words. I'm saved. I know I'm saved. I'm forgiven. And I'm going to go to heaven. I felt the assurance of my salvation for the first time. And then this just began this journey that I went on that I was listening to everything I could get my hands on. I was reading all kinds of stuff. I was just so hungry for Jesus. Like, I mean, I, I had never had such a hunger for the word of God. I'd never had such a hunger to, to listen to preaching. You know, I worked at a ministry. I was serving at church. I mean, church was my life. And I got to the point where I thought I knew it all by the time I was 25. You know, we all do that, right? I, I thought I knew everything there was to know about God because I'd grown up with it. I mean, I grew up memorizing scripture. I mean, you name it, I did it. But it wasn't until 25 years old the Lord spoke to my heart that he took me on a journey because I was living in fear. What I want to do this morning is, it's okay with you, is I want to kind of walk you through the journey God took me on. But in order to do that, we've got to ask some questions to answer that question. How do I know I'm going to heaven? I don't think it's simple just to say, well, you are, believe it. That's kind of what I heard growing up, you know. Just believe it. Believe. Have faith. Oh, yeah, well, I got faith I'm going to hell. I ain't got faith I'm going to heaven. I'm telling you right now, I wouldn't be asking you this question if I wanted to believe. And so what I, my, my prayer has been, what I believe is going to happen today is that there's going to be some of you, I hope a lot of you, but some of you that are going to be set free today, that you're going to, you're going to see Jesus for who he is. And the gospel is going to be great, amazing, the best news you've ever heard in your life and not condemning news that puts you into the ground. So I think the first question we have to ask is this, is what is salvation? If we're going to know what, if we want to know how, how if we are saved, if we're going to go to heaven, what is salvation? Now there are many Many definitions, but let me, let me throw up a definition for you, and we'll talk about it. Here it says this. Salvation is deliverance from the guilt and the power of sin. Salvation is, is deliverance from or freedom from the guilt and the power of sin. So to understand what salvation is, we have to understand and acknowledge the reality or the existence of sin in the world and in your life. If you don't believe that sin exists, then you have no need for salvation. Salvation cannot exist where sin does not exist. Okay, Salvation exists because sin is in the world. The reality of sin that we have to acknowledge in the world and we have to acknowledge sin in our own lives. So to better understand salvation, we have to understand sin. So what is sin is the question. Sin. The Bible defines sin literally. If you look at the word sin, it means to miss the mark. To miss the mark. Well, what's the mark? It is this standard of God. It would be what we would call the, the moral law of God. The, the ability to decipher what is right and what is wrong. Okay, 
John Wesley, the great evangelist, the great preacher, the founder of the Methodist Church, had one of the most profound impacts on the world via Christianity. Here's what John Wesley said. He called sin this, a willful transgression of a known law of God. A willful transgression of a known law of God. Now that word known there is an interesting word, right? Because if you just say a known law of God, then you can say, well, if I didn't know the law of God and I, and I did something wrong but didn't know it, then it can't be a willful transgression, right? I wasn't willfully doing something that I knew was wrong. Therefore, it's not wrong. It's not sin. But the word known means that God has made known. How is God made known? Every single person on the face of the earth is born with what we would call a conscience, right? Is the ability or the inherent ability to know between right and wrong. I believe every single human being on the face of the earth has a sense of right and wrong. We were created in the very image of God, the expressed image of God. And we still have a remnant of that image on the inside of us, creating the image of God. And we know the difference between right and wrong. We may not know the specificity of every situation. You do not have to read the Bible to understand or be able to have the sense of what is right and what is wrong. As we read the Bible and God God reveals more to us about who he is and what his law really is, we have a deeper understanding and where there's a higher standard that we're held to in in the specifics of our lives. But every single person knows the difference between right and wrong to some degree. We have that inherent sense. So any, any willful transgression of a known law of God, that's what John Wesley said. John Wesley formulated his opinion based on, on a lot of what his mother said. His mother, Susanna Wesley, was the mother to 19 children. Nobody said amen to that, huh? <laughs> Natural born children. She was, a, she was a scholar in her own right, and John Wesley wrote her a letter and said, you know, mother, what, how do you define sin? She's a very godly woman. Here's what Susanna Wesley said. She said, take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. What she was saying is this, whatever you do that impairs your sense of consciousness, meaning your sense of knowing what is right and wrong, your, your ability to see it, your ability to decipher it. And whatever weakens, get, get this, your tenderness to your sense of God. Anything that we do that causes us to lose sight of who God is, that causes us to, to not be able to see God or sense God in the universe is, is sin to us. And whatever gives us in our lives uh, authority over, uh, more authority over our body than our mind, meaning that we, we live more of a sensual lifestyle, Right? We just give in to our senses and what we crave and what we want on that level. No matter how innocent any of those things are, that is sin to us. It impairs my conscience. It obscures my ability to sense God and be aware of Him. It's sin to us. And if you think about it, that's not too far removed from what happened in the garden with the serpent and Eve, is it? See, Adam and Eve were created in the very image of God, just like you and I are, yet they were without sin. They had, they had no sin. They had no idea of sin, but there was an expressed law of God at the time, which was do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In comes the serpent, right? Has this discussion with Eve, and he gets her to question her identity in God. He says, if you want to be like God, then you need to do this. 
Well, she never had to do anything to be like God, but she was because she was created in the image of God. It would almost be like if you had a child, right? Let's say your child is five years old, and they go to a friend's house, and, and, and that, that friend's parents sit them down and say, you know what, I'm going to use my own son's name, Carson. You know what, you're not really like your parents. You're not really their son. Because you didn't, haven't done anything to be their son. Let me tell you what you have to do to be their son, to earn their favor. And they begin to convince this young child that they're not your child. And that their identity is solely based on what they do. See, and that's what the enemy was, that's what the serpent was saying to Eve. You're not like God. She questioned her identity. It impaired her, her sense of what was right and what was wrong. It obscured her ability to sense God. And she gave in and she ate of that fruit. She got to the point where she transgressed against a known law of God. Why? Because the enemy got in there and did what Susanna Wesley so articulately put forth, begin to question those things, no matter how innocent it may be. How innocent would it be to just eat the thing of the, the, take a bite of this fruit? That's really what the serpent was saying. The action in itself of biting may be simple and innocent, but the implications of it were huge. And therefore, every single person on the face of the earth now struggles with the guilt and the power of sin because of that one moment in the beginning. So understanding what sin is, is huge. See, Romans 6.23 would tell us this, okay? This helps us understand a little bit more about sin and salvation. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. For the wages of sin is death. What is wages? Think of it as guilt, okay? The guilt of sin is death. That is the punishment of sin. Separation from God and eternal death. But what is salvation? It is eternal life, and it is a gift from God. The gift of God, of eternal life, through Christ Jesus. So salvation is a gift, and salvation is eternal. Not temporal, it is eternal. What happened to Adam and Eve in the garden did, it was an eternal thing for all of humanity. Sin became a part of humanity, where we struggle with the, we're born into the guilt of sin, and then there's the power of sin. What is the power of sin? It controls our lives. It, it, we have a nature issue going forward with sin. Here's something that's really important to understand about sin, okay? I'm going to say this and then explain it. You are not a sinner because you sin. You sin because you are a sinner. Does that make sense? You're not a sinner because you sin. You, you sin because you are a sinner. What that means is it's your nature. It is why you were born that we all have this sin nature. And by default of our nature, we sin. Paul would say in Romans, you know, the things I don't want to do, I do. And the things I want to do, I don't do. Oh, wretched man that I am. We have a sin nature. And we are in need of a brand new nature. A nature that is from God. A nature that Adam and Eve had at the beginning of creation, but that was sullied or was destroyed by the power of sin. We need a new nature. And what Paul says next, because the, the next question I want to look at is, okay, well then how do we, how do we uh, get salvation? right? How does one obtain salvation? What does that look like? Or why do we need it, really, is the question. Why do we need salvation? Because Paul says something in Romans 3.23 that is a powerful statement, but none of us like it. Here's what Paul said in Romans 3.23. Some of you know it. For all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Paul said all have sinned. 
What is Paul saying? Paul is saying universally every human being on the planet has sinned, is a sinner by nature. Paul is condemning all of humanity and himself along with that. See, our culture hates that today, right? Our culture hates that statement. Who are you to tell me that I'm bad? Who are you to tell me that I'm wrong? Who are you to say that you're right? Who are you to say that there's anything remotely resembling uh, universal truth today or absolute truth, right? Paul is saying the universal absolute truth is because of what happened in the garden with Adam and Eve, all of humanity is, has a sin nature. You are born that way with a sin nature opposed to God, not looking for him, only looking to fill the lust and the desires of your own heart. Let that sink in for a moment. That's not good news, is it? That doesn't make anybody feel good. Like, you're a sinner. That's how you were born. But then you read three chapters later, the verse I quoted, beginning, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. So yes, we're all born with a sin nature, but that's not God's end game for every single person. God's end game is salvation. That's why Jesus came on the scene, to provide the gift of eternal life, to remedy or undo what Adam and the serpent did in the garden. Okay? So we're all sinners. That's what, that's what the Bible tells us. If you want to understand that you're um, going to heaven and that you are, need salvation, you have to understand and come to the terms with the fact that you are in need of it, that you have sin in your life, that you have done things and are maybe still doing things in your life that are not right, that are a willful transgression of the known law of God, and that you can't save yourself, that you can't change your nature. See, what, what happens is, is that sometimes we think that uh, we can just do more good than bad, right? That we could keep a ledger and say, as long as the good column outweighs the bad column, then everything is good. Some of us maybe even believe that God has this uh, heavenly ledger, you know, where he's making a list and checking it twice. It's going to see if we're naughty or nice. <laughs> you ever wonder or, or take a look at how much the story of Santa Claus is in direct opposition with the gospel of Jesus? That you tell your kids you're going to reward them if they're good, and if they're bad, they're going to get coal. <laughs> and then yet you bring them to church, and we say that God has saved you by grace through faith, and you didn't deserve it, you didn't earn it, and even though you were bad, he gave it to you anyway. Who's better, Santa Claus or Jesus? <laughs> no, it's a serious question. Who's better? We like Santa Claus more than we like Jesus. And Santa Claus gives us coal if we're bad. He checks to see if we're being naughty or nice. He's got a list. He's checking it twice. But salvation and grace is fundamentally different than that. Fundamentally. Yes, God said that we are sinners. Yes, God saw that and said the wages of sin is death. That's a complete separation from me. But he didn't stop there. The moment Adam and Eve did what they did in the garden began this process of God intervening into the world to bring salvation that we're talking about. So why do we need salvation? Because we're sinners. Because it was our nature. Because we were directly diametrically, I should say, opposed to God in and of ourselves. So then we come down and say, okay, I'm a sinner. Then, then, okay, what do I need to do to be saved? Okay, how is one saved? I want to read you what Paul wrote in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, because this is really great. Here's what he said. For it is by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Paul says you're saved by grace, through faith. 
It's important that we understand grace. Let me define grace for you in two ways, okay? Here's the first definition of grace. It is the undeserved, unmerited favor of God. Undeserved, unmerited favor, okay? You can't earn it. You can't qualify for it. There's nothing that you have ever done in your life that would make you worthy of grace other than the fact that God created you and he loves you, even in spite of what you've done wrong. Here's the second definition of grace. Grace is a person. So what do you mean? The Bible says in the book of John that the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came in Jesus. Jesus is the embodiment of grace and truth. When you think of grace, you have to think of Jesus. Grace is not a theological concept. Grace is not an idea that we study. Grace is a living, breathing, active person, and it is Jesus Christ himself. We're saved by grace through what? Faith. What is faith? Hebrews defines faith as the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Let me tell you what, what faith is. It is also a gift from God. It is the supernatural ability to believe in Jesus. God imparts faith into you by the Holy Spirit so that you can believe in Jesus. Not just that he existed as a historical figure, but that Jesus died all right, on the cross, was buried, and three days later resurrected, and then about 40 days later ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father, and that by his death, his burial, and his resurrection, we have the forgiveness of sins. It takes faith to believe that. More than just logic. Can we use our logic as a part of it? Sure. But it is a gift of faith. And Paul says, it's not of works, lest any man should boast. What does he mean? Paul says, you can't earn it. You can't boast. There is nothing about salvation that you can stand up and take credit for. I don't care how much you tithe. I don't care how many good things you've done. I don't care how much you've given to charity. I don't care how long you've stayed in that marriage with a person who's a jerk. None of that makes you good enough. I don't care how nice you are. Those are good things, but those things do not or cannot save you. You say, well, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. Sure, but you're still bad. (laughs) It's by grace through faith, not of works. And you say, here's the works thing, because it gets really difficult for some people. Okay? Because here's what I'm saying. I'm saying that you are saved, and you didn't do nothing for it. All you did was receive it. You know, the only proper response to the gospel is one of reception. All you can do is receive it. You say, well, what about my works? Because I did want to address this question. We got this question a number of times. Can you talk about grace versus works and grace versus obedience as if they're mutually exclusive? What role does works play in salvation? Someone asked that. I'm going to, you ready for the answer? Nada. That means nothing in Spanish. Absolutely nothing. Your works You want to know what the Old Testament says? For some of you who really like the Old Testament and think we don't preach out of it enough, here's what it says about works. Your works are like filthy rags. When that word filthy rags, that phrase literally means a sanitary napkin. Literally. I'm not trying to be crude. That's what it means. That your works, when you come to God as a means of salvation, mean absolutely nothing. They pale into comparison into the finished work of Jesus. Are your works a good thing? Yeah, but they don't save you. And your identity is not found in your works. So you're saved by grace through faith, not of your works. So works don't save you. And here's the other thing. Works don't keep you saved. How are you? What keeps you saved? Grace through faith. Grace through faith. 
Your works do not maintain your salvation. Your works are an expression of the fact that you are saved. God empowers you by his grace to do those works. But you don't do them to be saved. You do them because you are saved, and that's huge. I work for God not to be loved by God, not to be accepted by God, but because I am loved and accepted by God. That little tweak there is huge, absolutely huge. So we're saved by grace through faith. And then we go to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, and it says this. Excuse me, this isn't going to be on the screen. I added this one. 1 John chapter 1, verse 9 says, If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. What's John saying? Hey, you've got to confess the fact that you're a sinner. Because if you say you don't have sin, then you ain't going to have Jesus because you don't need him. You don't think you need him. But if you will confess, I'm a sinner. I got stuff in my life. I need Jesus. God is faithful to forgive you of all of your sins, all of them, and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Okay? And then here's what Paul says in Romans 10, verse 9. He says, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be, everybody say it, saved. Declare with your mouth and believe in your heart. If you use that faith that God has given you, that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he's not just a historical figure, that he is God. And when he was on this earth, he was the God man, God in flesh. And he died and he was buried and he resurrected three days later. And 40 days later, he ascended to the father and is seated at the right hand of the father. You believe, if you confess that with your mouth and you believe that in your heart, you will be saved. You say, well, that's a work. No, no, no. That is just the response to the empowerment of grace and faith in your life. It is opening your mouth. It's like when someone gives you a gift at Christmas, how do you receive it? Is that a work? Is the act of reception a work? I don't believe so. You receive it. Declaring with your mouth, confessing with your mouth, believing in your heart is just like doing this. And you receive it. You say, well, okay, how do I know I'm saved? How do I know? Because that's all great what I just told you. But it still comes to the question of, yeah, but, but I just did this the other day. But I, um, I messed up big in this area of my life, and it's a big deal. Can God still forgive me? And the question is, can God? Will God? That's what the question has come down to in a lot of your questions, in a lot of questions that we all have. And I just want to ask, I want to say this. The question is not can or will. The question is, can or will you receive the forgiveness of sins? Because God already did it. God already forgave all of your sin, all of it, past, present, and future. See, God didn't just forgive you up until the moment you got saved and thought, you know, you're going to do some more sin, and we're going to have to take care of that somehow. I don't know. Some people say God only forgives past sins. Really? Because 2,000 years ago when Jesus died on the cross, none of us were past. All of us were future. God, Jesus, the sacrifice of Jesus was outside of time and space. It is eternal. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ. That means that when Jesus died on the cross and his blood was spilled, that God looked forward, backward, however you want to say it, could see forward and see every single person here in this room today, everything that we would do, and he put the guilt and the punishment of that sin on Jesus. Paul said that he who knew no sin, Jesus, was perfect. He who knew no sin became sin, not in action, 
but in representation so that we might become the, represent, the, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. All the sin in humanity, I was going to try to sit the whole time, but I can't. All the sin in humanity, right, was put on Jesus on the cross. All of my sin, all of your sin, all the sin from all eternity, all man, was put on the body of Jesus. God spoke it over Jesus and Jesus became sin. He became the guilt and he became the power of sin. Not in action, but in representation. And he suffered the eternal punishment and power of sin, which was death and separation from God. Okay? And he goes into the ground that way. But yet he defeated death and he defeated sin by resurrecting three days later and was seen by over 500 witnesses. And then he ascended back into heaven and assumed his rightful place at the right hand of the Father. All sin was put in Jesus. There was no, well, maybe I'll put this, maybe I won't. No, all of your sin. So what I'm saying to you is all of your sin, past, present, and future, has already been forgiven and dealt with judiciously in the person of Jesus Christ. You can clap. That's good stuff. That's good news. You say, well, how do I know that? Okay, well, let's look at some some scripture. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7. Here's what Paul says. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Everybody say the forgiveness of sins. According to the riches of his what? You have the forgiveness of sins, plural. Not just sin, past. Sins. That's, That's Ephesians chapter 1. Let's look at Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 through 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood. What does it say? Yeah, the forgiveness of sins. God forgave it all. You know what he says in Hebrews? In Hebrews chapter eight, the Bible says this, that I will, rem- I will remember their sins no more. God doesn't remember your sin. How can he not remember my sin? He knows everything because he dealt with it outside of time and space in Jesus. He saw it. God knows the beginning from the end. Okay. And he dealt with it and he, he remembers it no more. Your sin does not exist before God. You say, well, that sounds cheap. No, he punished his son for it. God didn't just choose to look away. God saw it, punished Jesus for it, and it doesn't exist. He removed them. He remembers it no more. Here's what David said in Psalms 103. It says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. What does that mean? East and west, do they ever touch? Your sins are as far removed as the east is from the west. They don't exist before God. He forgave them. So are you saying, Josh, that I don't have to confess my sins before God? I believe this. We do not confess our sins after we become a believer to be forgiven. We confess our sins because we are forgiven and we are in need of receiving that forgiveness. Because if we weren't already forgiven, then God would have to crucify Jesus all over again. You are forgiven. And I confess because I can go before the, before the God of the universe and say, and know that I can receive mercy and grace in my time of need according to Hebrews because God's already judged it in Jesus and say, God, I royally screwed up. I sinned. I, I got drunk. I cheated on my wife. I looked at pornography. I, I was Im- immoral at work. Whatever the case may be, you can bring that before God, knowing that you won't get rejected. God honors that and God loves that. And he'll say, I forgive you. And you receive that forgiveness and you're like, what? You can forgive me for cheating on my wife. You can forgive me for looking at porn. You can forgive me for stealing the money. You can forgive me for doing drugs. You can forgive me for this. Yes. How? Because Jesus became that sin. 
Jesus became the immoral person at work. He became the pornographer. He became the adulterer. He became the drug addict. And he received that punishment in himself so that when you go before God, God treats you like Jesus because God treated Jesus like you. This stuff will set you free. Because you know why? This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the good news. And, you, and, and you're probably sitting here thinking, man, that seems so unfair. I, di- I, I didn't do anything to earn it. Grace. Grace will make nothing of you and will make everything of Jesus Christ. Grace will make nothing of you and everything of Jesus. How do you know you're saved? you got to go back to the gospel and say, he forgives me and he loves me. And you know you're really saved when you run to God and not from him. Let me say it like this. You know you really understand what salvation is when you run to him and not from him when you sin. Do I believe in the confession of sins? Yes, I do. Because it brings me right back to the cross of Jesus Christ. And I confess that openly before God. And I don't go to him in fear. And I don't go to him in in judgment. I go to him knowing that what I did was wrong and in need of the grace of God to continue to take another step. Now this stuff, this stuff is freedom. Because when we really understand what it means to walk in the grace of God, we have no desire to keep sinning. Some people say this, well, you can't preach grace too much because people are going to want to sin. Oh, really? As if the world needed any help sinning. We've got PhDs in that. That's the same thing of saying to me that if I tell my wife that I love her too much, it might inspire her to cheat on me. So I need to withhold how much I love Lauren. And how much I express that to her because I don't want to love her too much. She just may think that my love for her is just the empowerment to cheat on me. You see how stupid that is? That's like saying, I can't tell my child I love them too much because they're going to want to be disobedient. That's dumb. But yet when it comes to God, we're afraid of telling people that he forgives them. See, because if you think that grace is some license to sin, I'm sorry, you don't understand it. If you think that grace, you can just get saved and now you do, go do whatever you want, I would say you don't understand the gospel. Because your want to changes. God changes your heart. He gave you a new nature. That's why Paul said that we have become a new creation. Old things are gone. New things have come. That sin nature is gone. I, I got a new nature. I got the nature of God on the inside of me. Do I still do wrong? Sure. But I don't really want to. I'm not using the, the cross of Jesus and the blood of Jesus as license to sin. The Bible says this, for sin no longer has dominion over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. And where sin abounds, grace superabounds. That's what Paul says. So the more grace you have in your life, the more freedom over sin you have in your life. Paul would write this in Romans, that I have not received the spirit of bondage to fear again, but I have received the spirit of sonship, whereby your spirit, God, testifies with my spirit that I am a child of God. When you know that God has forgiven you and that he saved you and that you're a child of God, not by worth, but by birth, it changes who you are. And that's what God wants for you to understand and know. So I know that I can't convince you on the basis of my words alone, that you're saved. But I do know that what happened to me is God took me back through his word. And these are just some of the scriptures that I had for you this morning. I really had to trim it down, you know, because we could talk about this for the next five weeks. I could preach on this every Sunday. 
because it set me free. You can ask Lauren. At 25 years old, I had high blood pressure. I'm not saying I was in the best of shape, but I had high blood pressure. I was stressed out all the time. I was worried that I wasn't being a good husband, worried that I wasn't doing what God wanted me to do. Worried, 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 worried. And you know what? I got, I, God started me on this journey. My blood pressure went back to normal, and I didn't change my diet. I became, you can ask Lauren, I became more bearable to live with because I had a lack of self-confidence. I just didn't, I didn't believe in myself. And it was all related to my approach to what the gospel said and what it was. I'm a brand new person. I still struggle with fear, still struggle with anxiety. But you know what? I don't question my eternity. You say, that's kind of arrogant. No, it's not in me. It's in Jesus. I just, I just really believe that he saved me. I really believe that he forgives me. I really believe that I'm eternally secure in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and God led me on that journey by taking me back to his word and cracking open the scripture. And what he told me is, Josh, you may not feel saved, but salvation is not a feeling. What's the truth? The truth is, I declared that you are. I declared that you are forgiven. I declared that you've been set free. And what I had to do is say this, and I say this almost every day. God, I thank you that despite what I think, what I feel, and what I see, that your word is true. And I am what it says I am, and I have what it says I have, and I can do what it says I can do. So the moment that you feel condemned and like you're going to hell, you go back to the scripture and you say, man, God, you've delivered me from the power of darkness and conveyed me into the kingdom of the son of your love in whom I have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And you say, this is, well, not the paper. This is truth, right? This is the truth of God. And this is his word revealed to me. And so whenever I'm feeling like I ain't saved, I'm going to go to the word and see what God says about me. I'm going to choose to believe that over what my feelings say. I'm telling you, if we can get this, man, it changes every part of who we are. And I just feel like I need to stop because I keep going. (laughs) But what I want to do, what I want to do, encourage you to do, and then I want to pray for you is this. I want to encourage you. If you're still wondering about that question, I want you to get in scripture. I want you to open it up. I want you to read through the book of Romans. Paul lays it out. Romans is like Christianity in a nutshell. Okay. Read through the book of Romans, and you will just see the grace of God on display. You see Paul talking about his own life. He says, oh, wretched man that I am. Things I don't want to do, I do. The things I want to do, I don't do. Yet, God, you saved me by your grace. Read it. Understand it. Know it. Ask the Lord, God, show me the person of Jesus in my life. Give me the assurance of my salvation in you. And God will. If you pursue it, because what you're going to do is stop putting so much stock in your emotions. And your emotions will eventually align themselves with the truth of God's word. But God's truth will never align itself with how you feel. One more little thing. I started a list of confessions when I first got into this. And, and I, what you say, what's a list of confessions? It was things based on scripture. I wasn't like, God, I want a Maserati in the name of Jesus. None of that kind of stuff, all right? One of my confessions was this, based on the scripture where Paul says that we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, I thought, I thought confessions were kind of weird. I thought, that's, that's what weird people do. But I'm going to try it. Because I, some well-respected people that I know, the confession's based on scripture. So I said, I'm not going to do them where Lauren can hear me. I'm going to do them in the shower every morning. And one of my confessions was this, Father, I thank you that I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. 
I thank you, Father, that sin no longer has dominion over me, for I am not under law, but under grace. I thank you that you've made all grace abound towards me, so at all times, having all sufficiency and abundance for every good work. I thank you, Father, that your love for me is unconditional. I thank you that I have not received that spirit of bondage to fear again, but I have received the spirit of sonship, whereby your Holy Spirit testifies with my spirit that I am a child of God. You know, and I started saying those things, I didn't believe a lick of it. I didn't feel it. And after about a month, I'm in the shower getting ready for work, and I said, Father, I thank you that I am the righteousness, and I just got righteousness out of my mouth. And my emotions finally came into line with the word of God. And I connected with it every part of my being. I just lost it. I just started crying. I believed it. It was always true. It was the truth of God's word. I don't know how you feel about this. Sometimes you just got to fake it till you make it. Right? You just got to say, God, I'm going to declare your word and your truth because I don't have truth in my feelings right now. And you start to do that. And you get God's word in you. And man... And nothing can come against you. When, th- when hard times come that, and, and people creep up like the enemy, start to say, this is who you are. You know, I knew you win and you did this and you're nothing but this and you're nothing but that. You can say, you know what? That's true. I did those things. But I'm not condemned about them anymore. He already forgave me. He already set me free. If you want to think I'm like that, that's fine. But I know I'm not. I'm a new person. And you walk on down the road. Somebody else comes at you. Hey, you're right. I'm sorry. I should have never treated you that way. Can you forgive me? It just changes you from the inside out. But you've got to get the word in you. All right? Let me pray for you. Bow your heads this morning. Let me ask this question. If you're in here this morning and you say, you know what, Josh? I've been living my life in fear. I've been, I've been trying to, to, to please God. I've been trying to be good enough for him. I've just been worried that I'm going to go to hell. I just, I'm just in here. I'm struggling that, to, to understand and believe that God can forgive me for what I did yesterday or whatever period of time. If that's just you in here and you're struggling, can you raise your hand? Because I want to pray for you. Just struggling with the fact that God, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. If you're in here this morning and you say, you know what? I've, I've never given my life to Christ or I thought I did, but, but I've, I've backslidden in some capacity. And I want to re- give my life to Jesus. I want salvation because I recognize I'm a sinner in need of salvation. If that's you in here, would you put your hand up? Because I'm pray for you. Thank you. Thank you. Pray for those who are in fear first, and then second, pray for those of you who raised your hand for salvation. Heavenly Father, I pray right now for anybody in this room that raised their hand or didn't, that's just struggling with whether or not they are, they are saved and going to heaven. And Lord, I just pray you would set them free this morning. Holy Spirit, I pray that your peace that passes and transcends all understanding would guard their heart and mind through Christ Jesus. And they would have the joy of knowing that they are secure in their relationship with you because of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray right now, Every person that, that raised their hand and said that they wanted to give their life to you. And I'm just going to ask that you all would repeat after me when I pray this prayer. But if you raised your hand, I want you to, to say it out loud. Because the word says that if we confess with our mouths and believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord. And he was raised from the dead. That we shall be saved. So repeat after me. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your son Jesus. I declare with my mouth that I'm a sinner in need of salvation. And I confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he is seated at the right hand of the Father. And he provides for me forgiveness. And I receive that forgiveness. 
And I declare that I'm a new person. I have a new nature. And Jesus Christ is my Lord. I pray in his name. Father, we just thank you for every person that's in this room today, every person that's committed their life to you, recommitted their life to you. And Lord, I pray that we walk out of here different today, that we walk out of here so conscious of the person of Jesus and the grace that he has afforded us by his finished work, Lord, his sacrifice. And I pray, Lord, that when we come back next week, that our worship is different. Father, that just our lives are different, that, that Lord, we would be so on fire for you that we would grab that person that we know doesn't know Jesus and we'd bring him to church. We'd tell him about Jesus, that this would be such a, a, a public thing for us, that Father, it would effervesce and overflow out of us, that we would see that a lot Life with you is not boring, but Father, it is an adventure, and you've called us to great things, and you saved us from the pit of hell, not just to do life over and over and over again, but because there is a calling and a purpose for us, and Lord, we just thank you for revealing that to us ever so clearly, and I just pray profoundly, and we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, and everybody said, amen. Amen. 